0: I invite you to join me in a word of prayer. Well, Lord, I thank you once again for a strong year at Grace Anglican Church. I'm so grateful for our, our church body, the faithfulness here, and the way that you have moved in our midst. Lord, I ask you to inspire each one of us as we go into this new year. And I pray now that you would help me as I preach. And I ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Please be seated. Well, on Vision Sunday, it's the one year, one uh, week of the year when I give an atypical message. You know my pattern in preaching is to do expository preaching where I take a text, open it up, and help us understand what it means for us. I'm going to speak more topically today, although I am going to speak to both of those scripture uh, texts. I have good news for you on two accounts. I have good news in terms of the church's business, and I'll kind of give a state of the parish update, but I also have good news about God's love and the message of grace, and I'm going to touch on both of those this morning. And today, if you're a first-time visitor or a recent newcomer, this is an ideal Sunday to be here. You're going to get a picture of what this church is like and really what matters to us, and it'll help you decide if this is something you want to be a part of. So I'm really grateful that you're here today if this is a first time for you. So I'm going to take this message and and have it in two parts from each of the texts that we just heard read. The first part will be from uh, Luke 16 and that parable of the dishonest manager, and uh, talk about where we are as stewards of God's things, and then from 2 Corinthians 4, where we're headed going into this coming year. So Luke 16 is this parable of a dishonest manager, and um, it's an interesting teaching. You know the basic story. Someone is entrusted with another person's riches and expected to manage them. He's accused of doing so dishonestly and called to give an account. And he quickly and shrewdly thinks of a way to ingratiate all of his master's debtors so that when he no longer has a job, he has provision for himself. And when the master realizes this, he actually commends him for his shrewdness, not for his dishonesty, for his shrewdness. And then Jesus interprets it for us. Now, I want to make a couple of points about this as people who are managing God's stuff, including his church. This is Jesus' church. It's not mine. It's not the vestries. It's not our congregation's. It's the Lord's church, and he's entrusted it to our care, and he is guiding us. A couple of things from this Luke 16 passage that are really clear. One, a day of accounting is coming where the Lord, the owner of everything, is going to ask us, what did you do with my stuff? And he's going to do it for our church, and he's going to do it for each one of us personally. And stuff would be everything he's entrusted to us, our time, our treasure, our talents, our money and possessions, all of that. Second thing we learn from this is that shrewdness, not dishonesty, is commended. And Jesus points out to his audience, which, by the way, was made up of both Pharisees, the religious types— as well as his disciples, that the people of this world, meaning the unbelievers, are far more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons and daughters of light are. And he wants us to think in shrewd ways. So, not dishonest, but shrewdly. And then, lest we misunderstand what he's talking about, he tells us what that shrewd dealing would look like. And he says, "'Use wealth for eternal purposes.'" He says, when it fails, not if, when it fails, our, our physical possessions will eventually fail us. No one gets to take it with them. He's saying, spend and use the stuff I've entrusted to your care with my eternal purposes in mind. So that gives us marching orders. We, we need to think through how things will play out in the long term. Treasures in heaven, eternal significance. What can cross over the grave? Those are the things we need to be investing in. Also, he teaches us here that if you are faithful in a little bit, it will prove or indicate how you would handle a lot. doesn't guarantee you'll be given a lot, but if you're faithful with a little bit, you will be likely faithful with a lot. That's an important teaching. And then finally, lest we miss the whole point, Jesus simply says, you cannot serve God in money. Not you should not, you actually cannot So you pick one of the two masters, God or money, and you serve that master. Now, I like to say you cannot serve God in money, but you can make money serve God. It actually is muscle for ministry and kingdom work. And with faith guiding you, you can steer it in the direction of the service of God. You can know his heart and what matters to him and get material things to begin going in that direction. And I'm going to speak to you now about, in a minute, about money and just where the church is and the strength financially, but a number of other things. When I asked the Lord each year for a word, uh, an idea, an, over, an overarching theme for the coming year, um, I started back in the fall saying, Lord, we're going into 2020, what's, what's your vision for our church? What's our, what's, give a specific word for me as the leader. And I just kept hearing the same word from last year, abundance for others, abundance for others. And by hearing, I don't mean audibly, although God has in the past spoken to some people audibly. He doesn't always do that. It was more of an impression upon my soul. I'd love to talk to you, aside from this sermon, about how God speaks to people. He does, not just to pastors, but to all of us. I seek him for a word, and the impression upon my soul was abundance for others. You've just scratched the surface. Keep going with that. That's our word. But I'm going to nuance that a little bit here this morning about what that looks like going into 2020. So a little bit of a state of the parish update. We went into the last month of the year in a financial deficit like 30-something thousand in the red. And not that I was worried about it. December is always the strongest giving month of the year. But I was delighted when Francis finally got the books counted up to learn how strong of a December it was. We ended up having, again, record annual giving for this church. It's gone up each year by a little bit. Not only did we have record giving, we went 40 grand in the black. So, That is a huge and strong December, and I praise God for his faithfulness and you for your generosity making that happen. So if you like numbers, it's 1.63 million that came in in general offerings, and then it was 41,000 in the black. So it was a really good year, really strong. And additional funds were given for things that were not part of general operations in the amount of 188,000. These include things like this. $67,000 went to our mortgage. At any given time, you can write a check to the principal on the church's debt, send it in, Francis will take it right to the bank, and it starts making 5.25% interest on your gift. $67,000 were given, and it came off of our principal. So our debt is coming down, coming down. It's at $3.29 million right now, which is awesome because when I got here, it was close to six. That's a huge amount. It's coming down, it's coming down. It will be gone within 10 years or less, I'm certain. It 's going away, and what that will do is it will liberate money for ministry, for mission work to the tune of four hundred and twenty two thousand a year that 's what we pay on our mortgage. If that was gone, think of what kind of kingdom stuff could happen. It will be gone one day. There were other gifts given as well that were really encouraging. Um, you know that I invited the church to pray about helping us plant our first church across the river in St. John's County, and I set a goal. I basically took the number of households and I said. I wonder if 10% of our people would be willing to sacrificially give an additional $100 a month to create part of a salary so that we could hire a church planter and start a new work in another part of the city. My goal was to raise $50,000 from 40 households. And I blasted it out through an email. I mentioned it several times from the front. And I... Never once, I thought I was prepared to do this, but I never once went to any of the, the long-time members that were, are really faithful and, you know, twist their arm a bit. Come on, let's do this. We can do I didn't have to do it. On the last day of the year, I was $2,000 short of my goal, and I had 38 households had, had given. And I went, okay, I guess who am I going to lean on? And I opened my email, and I had an email from someone that said, I'm going to give $200 a month. And right there on, on December 31st, first, it went up to 39 households, pledged 50,400 to the church plant. And I didn't have to put any kind of pressure to get that to happen. The Lord just stirred the hearts of our people, and they gave. And they pledged, rather. So, you know, it's a five-year project. And by the way, if you intended to give and forgot, don't worry. Church planting, like raising children, is expensive. You will have many opportunities to invest in that work but I'm super excited that those two are sitting here right now. Lenny and Callie just arrived Thursday from Germany. They've been planting in Ireland. Their time clock is all messed up, so they've probably been up since 3 a.m., but we're going to pray for them at the uh, end of the service and commission them, and it's just super exciting. So we also had some people bring in additional money so that we can help a church plant in India, $50,000 sent to India to help build a church in the state of Bihar. So global church planting, local church planting, all of that stuff is just kingdom work that has happened just in this last year. It's just super awesome. And then in terms of belonging, and the other easy number to count, which is average Sunday attendance, it has been creeping up over the last six or so years. Last year, the number was 537, average Sunday attendance over all three services. Or or, sorry, 2018. In 2019, the most recent year, it jumped up by a modest one. 538 this year. 537 the year before. I don't know what to make of that. Money went up 40 grand from, the, from prior, and one more person showed up. Thank you, whoever you are. <laughs> now, this is my prayer going into 2020, though. Um, it's not about guilt. I'm praying that you will have experiences on Sunday morning of the goodness of the gospel, You will feel God's presence, and you will begin to think, I don't ever want to miss a Sunday morning because God might speak to me. That's my prayer. So we'll see what he does in 2020. Um, In terms of membership, we added 20 new people who actually signed, like the, it's not a covenant, they just signed the information form and said, we believe we're called to be members and add us to the database. Um, As you know, I've, I've taught the entire time I've been here that to be a member, you simply start behaving like one. I don't really care to have some covenant signed or whatever. You're going to do what your heart feels like doing. If you feel like you want to be part of what we're doing this church, just let us know, and you're a member. So I thought it was really interesting when 29 people who are not technically in the database as members had their photos taken and are going to be in our photo directory. Thank you. I I count you as a member, at least you're acting like a member. And so 20 who signed up and 29 who had their photos taken means 49 people joined the church this year, which is 9% of our average Sunday attendance. That's pretty good. I'm, I'm happy with that. I hope it will continue in that stream. There are too many things in global missions to describe in this little address, so we actually set aside an entire Sunday for missions. Two weeks from now, we're going to have our our, our mission Sunday. Lenny's actually going to preach, and we'll have a fair afterwards. We're going to have all kinds of fun, exciting things. We'll have a bunch of our missionaries present, and we're going to celebrate how the global work of this church is advancing. So hold on, hold off on global missions for a minute, and then on January 26th, you'll hear a ton about that. I want to say one last thing, and then I'm going to get into the leading edge of where we're going. The Alpha program is the leading edge of where we're going. We ran it in the fall and the spring. We had about 32 and 30 people that were actually participants, plus all the leaders, plus all the support team to make it happen. And a third of those people at the end of the course survey identified where they were spiritually coming in and said, they said they were not committed Christians. This is not just a program to disciple our own people and have a bunch of Christians sitting in a room talking about something they already believe. It is the tool that our church is using to help people who are spiritually seeking find the Lord, question the things of faith, explore faith to see if it's something that they want for themselves. And what the Alpha Course does is it creates a very friendly, hospitable environment for people to actually dialogue, have a conversation. So, you can imagine my joy when, on the first night in my particular alpha group, one of the members said, we, watched the, we had dinner, watched the first video, and in the group, he says, somewhat aggressively, I don't believe a lick of any of this stuff. I just smiled on the inside and went, This is gonna be a good conversation. And he kept coming, missed a couple, but came back and forth, told five of his coworkers about the course because he wasn't judged. He was allowed to explore the faith, and he was accepted right where he was. That's the leading edge of this church, is it's that radical hospitality, radical invites to people. And that's, that's why grace matters so much. Not the name of our church, the message of the radical acceptance God has for sinners, which is all of us. And people need the freedom to come and to explore the faith. And not have to be expected to conform in some way or decide right away. They need to be able to explore. And my hope is that that ethos of the Alpha Course, I think it's actually happening, but it will increasingly come up into even Sunday morning, that people will feel welcome and people will not feel like they have to conform in order to come in here and hear the good news of the gospel. So where are we heading in 2020? God willing, we're heading more and more to creating a culture of hospitality and a culture of invitation, welcoming visitors well and inviting people to consider coming to Alpha, coming to the church, coming to Jesus, consider the faith. Now, 2 Corinthians 4. um, I want to talk about this passage briefly. You don't have to go there in a Bible because I I can't fully expound the text. I'm going to point a couple of things out, though. The Apostle Paul is writing this, and he's doing so because he is in a battle zone. He says, we apostles that have gone out as missionaries are being crushed. We are being persecuted. We are suffering. We are being resisted. They were in a battle zone. And he is writing, he specifically says, the very first verse of chapter 4, he says, therefore, having this ministry, by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. He's writing why he's encouraged and why he's not losing heart. He still believes the power of the gospel to transform. And so even when he finds some resistance, he presses through because he knows it's what all people need. Uh, You can imagine how much I enjoy this passage when I saw Gus actually leaned over and goes, hey, there's your vision language. In verse 15, it says, for it is all for your sake, abundance for others, extending, it is all for your sake so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase the thanksgiving to the glory of God our vision statement as a church is extending grace, discipling generations. And there, I, I didn't, when we put that vision statement together, it did not come from this text. So I just landed on the text and went, hey, there's our vision right there in the scriptures. That's, that's good. We're, we're on the right track. I, um, I like that. That's awesome. In this text, Paul says, we have this treasure in jars of clay so that no one will confuse where the power is coming from. It's not that Paul and the others were so awesome, although they were impressive, but they were broken people that had been transformed by the love of God, and therefore God's power was being demonstrated in them, what God was doing. So what this means is when sinners, you and I, broken people, experience God's love and his power starts to change us, all the glory goes to God. And what that also does is it means that other people who are broken in some way in their life see that. They often say, I want whatever you have. How did, how did that happen? They want to know. And so we are then able to invite. We are able to say, we'll, we'll come. Last week, Dan said, it's just one sheep telling another sheep about the good shepherd. That's, that's all this is. That's all the invite is. It's when we know God's goodness and experience it, he begins to transform us, and then we want to tell other people about it. And then they need the freedom to explore it for a while, and then at the end, and then God has to meet them and he does. He shows up, and he meets them, and then they want to tell other people. And it keeps going like that. 2,000 years now, Christianity has propagated that way from faith to faith, one person telling another, telling another. And here's our situation in America. We are afraid to tell other people about the gospel because of a vocal minority that has scared the church. There's a book I'll commend to you. It's called You Found Me by Rick Richardson. He's an Anglican person. He's a professor at Wheaton College and he works for the Billy Graham Institute's Research Center. And in 2019, he did a really reputable study of unchurched people. That would be people who have not been to a church in six months or more. 3,000 of them responded and he summarized their responses in here. And he comes... He comes into this book by telling us about Chicken Little. You all know the proverbial nursery story of Chicken Little, right? Chicken Little is sitting under a tree, and an acorn hits him on the head, and he gets that data and misinterprets it and says, the sky is falling, and he panics and gets all the other chickens upset about this. The sky is falling. The sky is falling. And then when Foxy Loxy sees what has happened and that he's misinterpreted the data, he goes, hmm, I know a place where the sky's not falling, my den is totally safe. And they all go into the den and are never heard from again. <laughs> That's the story, Chicken Little, Sky's sky is falling. And what has happened is the death of American Christianity has been grossly overestimated. You all have heard it. One headline said, there are only 24 more Easter's left for Christians. 24 more Easter's and then Christianity has gone. You've heard the numbers and there, there are some stats. Some mainline numbers are declining. And they've been taken, and then I think given energy by Satan himself, the liar, Foxy Loxy, if you will, and told Christians, America does not want to hear about your faith. This is, this is not the place. It's not a Christian nation. There's no more hope for the gospel here. Better start praying for Africa and Asia where there is some church left because America's done. And that's what's happened. So Satan has created alarm instead of action. He's created passivity instead of proclamation. He's created a defeatism instead of hope. And Paul the Apostle says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation for everyone, Jew and Gentile. That will never change as long as there are sinners on this earth. The gospel will have transforming power and people will need that message. But the church has been silenced out of fear because some stats have been blown up. And in this book, he... he, tells a couple of myths. Four. I'm going to tell you what these four myths are. And he calls them myths because after talking to 3,000 unchurched people, he finds that these things to not be true. Consider these myths and whether or not you've believed them. Myth number one, America is becoming non- or anti-Christian, a nation of nuns, N-O-N-E-S. They check the box none for religious affiliation. That would be those who have no allegiance or any particular religion or religious body. Myth number two, millennials are leaving the church at an alarmingly high rate and rarely, if ever, returning. In other words, church has become irrelevant to the emerging generation. It's a myth. It's actually not true. Myth number three, the church is dwindling in America and will disappear in a generation. The church has been on a decades-long freefall to the point of impending near extinction. Not true. That's a myth. It is not true. Myth number four, and this is the last one I'll share, Trust in the church is at an all-time low as fewer Americans have a history of church involvement and those who do often define their experience as negative. The result is a public inoculated against the church, Jesus, and faith. The rest of the book expounds how all four of those myths are false. There is some decline in American Christianity, mostly nominal Christianity, people who identify as a, a... a a denominational type person but aren't going anymore and they've just stopped checking that denomination. But there are other stats that are really positive. How many Americans, general population now, when asked what their faith was, how many do you think said Christian? 71%. 71% of Americans said, I'm a Christian, when asked what their faith was. That's a lot of people, you know, for only 24 Easters left. The, the survey of unchurched, those who had not been to a church in six months, 50% of them said, if a friend asked me, I would say yes to an invite to a religious thing. If a friend asked me. But see, the sky is falling. There's a very slight, loud minority of anti-faith people who actually do persecute Christians, and it is so small, it is so small, If you invite people to church, you're not going to get somebody yelling at you. The chances are so small for that. What you're going to get is half of the time, they'll say yes. They'll come to Alpha. You have to be a friend, though. It's if a friend asks, I'll go. It's surprising how open people are, and it's also surprising how reluctant Christians are to share. We have people that are hungry for this good news, and it is good news. So I want to encourage you to step into this new year with a boldness to invite, a culture of inviting people. Not a hard sell, just one sheep telling another person, another sheep about the good shepherd. Let me tell you what I've experienced in my faith. I think you might really like this. Why don't you come to this thing? Do you know what non-church people are afraid of? They're afraid of two things if they go to your, your religious event. The first is that their sinful behaviors will be judged that their, their brokenness, which they fully are aware of, they know what's wrong in their life, they're afraid they'll come in and you'll point your finger at them and shame them for it. They're afraid of that. They're also afraid that if they come to your religious thing, it will be expected that they agree with everything that is said from the front, that they won't be left the freedom to explore it, to question it, to be honest in their doubts. They're afraid of those two things. And a culture of radical hospitality can take that away, both of it. It's when somebody that sits down in church next to you that doesn't look like you for whatever reason, the way they dress, the way they talk, whatever, you lean over and go, hey, I'm so glad you're here. That simple thing is so powerful. When people learn that they can come as they are, that will cause more people to want to come. And then, of course, actually going out and telling people about things. Hey, come to Alpha the team put a challenge before us to see if we can get 500 invitations to Alpha, which starts on February 9th. And we even have a prayer team behind it willing to pray for the first name of anyone you ask so that then the Holy Spirit will say, yeah, why don't you go check out this first night of this thing? And then when they show up, they find a free meal, they find friendly faces, and they find a very well-produced talk about Christianity, and they're given the freedom to debate it, to dialogue with it, to wrestle with it. That is creating that radical hospitality and it's creating that spirit of invitation. So going into 2020, these are the two things I would like to see, a culture of invitation and hospitality. At Alpha, it's already there. I'd like to see it church wide. And so let's pray that that happens because I believe that God has made this church strong for the sake of others. It's abundance for others as we go into this new year. Would you pray with me? Lord God, I praise you. For your goodness. Thank you for our church family. Lord, I pray for this new year that these things I've described would happen, that they would please you, that you would help us use the abundance you've given us in this church for the sake of others. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.